Welcome to Defan episode number 49 and I think we are almost going to be 2 years old next month. This is pretty long time. So, uh this episode is uh what Ray said it's a crucial episode, cruxial episode. I don't know. You can't pronounce it. You can't say you're going to read it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, we have uh two gentlemen from Jext so uh John and Jeremy um you want to introduce yourself and then tell us a bit about uh, what you do and um then slowly we'll we'll move on to Crocs Yeah so I'm John I'm the managing director at um Juxt uh so my life involves less coding sadly as the days go on um but my my job is is essentially to to just uh it's a bit like attending a garden where there's lots of interesting flowers that come out but then some weeds and you have to go in and you can't kill all the weeds but you you know you do what you do for an hour that day push them back and just manage things really um uh so that's what i do um i really do still love the tech enclosure and um you know it's a cliche like it's kind of an embarrassing cliche i think when people say oh you know it's like i'm post technical i really I really love to code as as though it's like they're condescending yeah, as though yeah, like they're trying to yeah. sort of stay at one with the techies and um I felt that a bit uncomfortable and I've resisted that cliche um but it is there's some truth to it like when you when you sort of just do your day to day lots of phone calls and speaking to people it's lots of activity in the brain but when you can code it's like that sense of self disappears a bit and you go into like a meditative zone and it really is quite peaceful um so i do uh, enjoy coding and i find it a necessary part of the job just you know it's it's the cliche it's what everyone says but it does to a certain extent keep me sane <laughs> cool so you you still fiddle with a little bit of uh, closure and john yeah um yeah like right now i'm sort of doing some jobs on on crux um it's it's good fun really like i'm uh it's just I want to try and help out the team, so I'll pick some of the niggly issues, uh, just trying to trim the the issue board. Um, but yeah, still like to get into Emacs, still like to solve problems. Um, I quite like Crux because um, Hawkan Rayberg, who is the uh, the tech lead um, of of Crux, he's quite a disciplinarian. He's quite sort of strict, um, and I I quite like like it's a bit like Cider, you know, with Bozidar. I quite like that sort of authoritarian figure on an open source project. And I quite like being that person that submits an issue and is it good enough yet? Like, what do you think? And they say, no, it's like, there's not enough tests, not enough comments. And, and I, I quite like <laughs> just working towards someone else's um, spec and standard. So I quite like that sort of dynamic and crux. So it's a good place for me to be coding. Excellent. Cool. Yeah. So Jeremy, what about you? Uh, yeah, great question. So um, <laughs> uh, I'm relatively new to the to the to the Juxt world. Uh, I joined in January, and really my role is uh, all that crux. So um, uh, I guess the, the term is offering manager, but you can think of me as a product manager. Um, so because crux is is a very new thing, um, you can think of my job as sort of really uh, in John's garden, watering one solitary plant, making sure none of the predators get it, and then. Uh, <laughs> figuring out how we're going to take it to market and uh uh you know who 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 is going to want to use it so um you know uh, i came into the crux project reasonably late in its life i guess um you know john and Hawken have been uh, and malcolm have been thinking about this for for a long time um 
So I've had to get up to speed with, I guess, what, what Crux does, what value it brings, and um, figure out how how it fits into the wider picture and how, I guess, uh, all the all the use cases and um, systems people are going to be building in the future. Um, you know, what, what part can Crux play in that? Um, so my, my role is very much, um, yeah, about, about making sure that as we keep investing in, in Crux and, and building it out, that uh, we're aligning it to some real world use cases. And, and as we get people using it, that uh, we're listening to, to the feedback and incorporating it into the, the, the roadmap. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily like the engineering uh, lead. Uh, so that, that's definitely Hawkins' role. Um, but uh, I'd like to like to think I'm I'm bringing a, a level of business focus and uh, uh, visibility over you know what other what else is happening outside of Crux and and, and making sure that we we have a sort of a solid direction and uh, strategy. So um, that's that's my role. Um, but, you, but you've said you've got to, your, you've got your, you've got a bit of uh, closure chops as well. So you know, so project product manager, which is like you know very businessy, etc. But you know, you're you're not you're hiding a little bit there, aren't you? You know, come on, there there is a little bit of closure there too. <laughs> there is a little bit, um, yeah. No, so I, I I've been uh, I mean I, I've been programming on and off, I guess, for a long time. Um, but it wasn't really until uh, maybe eight eight years ago I got sort of quite serious about programming. Um, you spent a while at playing around with Node.js uh, when I realized actually that wasn't cutting it. Uh, you know, I switched to Clojure and, um, and this is just as a, as a bit of a hobby really, but um, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in, in knowledge management, data management, and uh, Clojure ticks a lot of boxes for me. And so I've, I've spent a, a lot of time looking at, uh, at how Clojure uh, works and um, yeah, I've, I've been building various uh, demos and prototypes and things, but um, yeah, it wasn't until I discovered DataScript that I, I I I found sort of a, a very natural place to to start working and sort of finding my niche. Um, so I'm sort of very keen on data log and um, and the script implementation and that that sort of philosophy. Um, so yeah, I, I I I'd say I'm I'm nowhere near as adept at closure as most people at Juxt. Like I'm I'm very much in at the deep end, uh, working around uh, Malcolm and, and John and all everyone else. But um, uh, I, I hope to get my Emacs configuration. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, VJ can tell you how to make Emacs look like Vim, so you know that could be a bit of homework <laughs> for you. But this, this this seems like a fantastic episode. I mean, we started with Emacs already, so you know, this is like the best episode ever. <laughs> After forty-eight episodes, we have like a majority of Emacs users on the our our to be Emacs. I'm really users. thinking about converting to Emacs now. Are you? What, yeah. what, do you not use Emacs, Ray? I don't you, use Emacs, no. Yeah. Uh, presumably Vim is your... <laughs> I don't use Vim. I, no. No, I, I do yeah. use VI sometimes, um, you know, on... on when on when he said systems, converting, yeah. he meant upgrading to Emacs. He hasn't said what he's what using he yet. Meant. I'm waiting for the yeah. sort of big reveal. <laughs> <laughs> I use Notepad, of course, you know. <laughs> <laughs> because you know who wants text highlighting that's for that's for losers you know but yeah, uh, yeah. no i uh yeah uh, everybody else in our company by the way including like the big guys they all we all we all use cursive so do you we, right we haven't we haven't got any max actually at the moment right yeah. how do you think he curses a lot you know like that's the reason he uses cursive <laughs> and then he keeps cursing a lot you know that, that's the that's, that's the thing of beauty. It's it's a real joy. Yeah, so yeah, it's good. 
That, that's what I heard. Anyway, so uh, let's uh, get to the, the, the meat of this episode. Um, so, John, you live open sourced it during Closure North, mm. uh, Crux. Um, so what is Crux? So there is something on the website. Um, we'll get into deeper, uh, different things. Uh, uh, what is the elevator pitch? Elevator pitch. on uh, Well, Crux is a bi-temporal document store with graph query. It's like the uh, definition of a monoid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we end the podcast now. I mean, yeah. That's it. Um, I need a t-shirt like that, you know? <laughs> uh, that's what you should do, actually, Jeremy. You know, part of your product management is have, like, one of these, like, uh, you know, what is a monad presentation. type t-shirts, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be good. I mean, we, we did have some pretty nice t-shirts at Closure North. Um, yeah. I'm so, sad John's not repping it right now. So, <laughs> so I, I was actually, you know, as in the closure world, you know, we, we look for the definitions of something uh, for everything. So I know the colloquial usage of crux. I'm not a native English speaker, obviously. But then when I looked into the Merriam-Webster dictionary, it says a puzzling or a difficult problem. That is the definition of crux. Mm. <laughs> but if I, when I saw the Oxford dictionary, it says uh, the decisive or most important point at issue. I think, so, I think Oxford is right there. Uh, yeah. yeah, because it, it, it came from, I don't know, Queen's English. Yeah. So I thought it is it is probably that one, but there is one point one on on Oxford Dictionary that says again uh, a particular point of difficulty. So that's a very interesting name. Yeah, so, but it comes from Jesus being crucified, and you know, yeah, like the like cross this, or something. Uh, so you know, it's quite deep. I mean, if you want the yeah. the honest answer of why we chose it, it's because it had to be four characters, and uh, we were walking oh. around Bristol and looking at things like, oh, there's wood. Okay, okay, there's door, uh, there's leaf, there's ding. <laughs> and we're thinking, what, you know, yeah. what's a sort of, what's a meaningful sort of hardened word? And after like his fifth cocktail, Malcolm pronounced, it shall be called crux. Yeah. And we, were, yeah, ah. we thought that was very good. So. <laughs> we got cockroach, anyway, so, you know, but. Yeah, yeah. Almost there. For sure. Anyway, let's not get too rude. Crooks, crooks, yeah. crooks, crooks. <laughs> the crux of the matter. It's a by it's a by temple document store that provides graph query. So let's let's break that exactly. down. Please so, please do. So you're a developer, right? You chuck it some Eden documents, right? It stores them for you. Job done. That's mm-hmm. the doc store part. Um, then also there's a bit of crux that sees these documents coming in. And it indexes the attributes within those documents, so you can do data log, graph query against those documents, right? And then you can join documents, you know, like you can do a data log. Um, that's the that's the graph document part. Yeah. The bitemporal bit is it's really it's really quite simple. Like it's a problem that you didn't know that you had in most cases, right? So let, let's say you have got a temporal database. And really, let's let's just assume that what that means is that you can query for any point in time against the database, right? So I want to query what 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 did the charts look like in the UK at nineteen ninety seven, for instance, on a particular day. Um, that was that's what a temple database can give you. Um, the issue with some temple databases is that if there's only one axis of time, which is transaction time then the database is sort of recording facts at the time the database sees those facts. 
right? Um, but the the world that, that we often work in is quite messy. So you often want to enrich the past. Like maybe we're sitting now in 2019, but we're learning some stuff about the charts in 1997, right? We might have got it wrong. Perhaps there's another chart that we want to add. So we want to add facts into the past, but you can't really do that if the only time axis that you've got is transaction time because you can't insert into the past because the only time you've got is transaction time when the database sees a fact coming in. So when you've just got the single time axis, the time is always increasing. You can't insert into the past. You maybe can if you, you, know, you take on some complexity, you take on a hit, you do some extra work, you do some modeling, perhaps you do some sharding. Like There's always ways around this. You build an index on top of the database, right? There's, there's things that you can do. You can split up your data accordingly. But it's non-trivial. What bitemporality gives you is that it maintains that transaction time, that immutable transaction time that's always increasing. So you have that. Your database doesn't change it. It creates facts. That, that's what we want. Um, but then it adds this valid time notion on. So you can add a fact, and the transaction time of that fact is increasing. It's always going in the future. But the valid time of that fact can be in the past. So we have transaction time and we've got valid time. All valid time is saying is when this fact was true. That's it, right? So you It's according fact- to the user rather than according to the database and that's Exactly. Exactly. It's according to the user, it's according to you as the programmer. So in a way, by temporality, there's there's two fundamental time axes at work. Like one is a transaction time that the database works with at that inherent sort of level of the database. Mm. But then you've got valid time, which is more about the users, the programmers, and it's giving you more control of time, right? So you can say, look, I want to insert a fact into my database. And, and this fact was true in 1997. And then when people want to do as of queries or historical queries, they mm. can use valid time. So they can do, show me what the world looked like in 1997. And that can then take account of these facts that have come in later because the valid time is when it, um, it was when the user wanted it to be. Is valid time like a kind of, is it, does it default to the, to the normal time? Does it default to the database time and you can kind of override it? Or is it, how do you do that? Yeah, like, um, I'm sure that Jeremy can correct me on the precise syntax and I'll hand it over to him in a sec. But um, yeah, you can submit a transaction into Crux and not give it a time, right? And then yeah, it's just yeah. like the valid time and transaction time is like now. Um, or you can be specific and say, okay, this is my this is the valid time that I want. The transaction time will still be derived by crux, uh, but the valid time is something essentially you can override. Yeah. Okay. Makes yeah. sense. Yep. Yeah. So 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 you know, by temporality does have like a lot of um, ambiguity in the word. Like if, if you look at what other things do that claim to be by temporal, um, you know, th- th- there's a broad range of definitions. So some some databases, and John wrote about this in his, his blog post, um, you, you have a, a valid from and valid to field, um, whereas Crux um, essentially has just a, uh, basically just a valid from within like an implicit valid to. So so the, the, the valid time you insert document um, sort of means that that document is valid until the next document is, is inserted in, in the temporal order. Um, so you know, there's some nuance in that. Uh, model, but um, essentially, you know, it's it's uh, you know it's also they're, they're dualism. So you know, you can you can you can use that to to model the, the high level concepts. The other thing that I always think about, like because I used to be a database guy back in the day, 
was that um, is that well you know <laughs> is that the, the, the problem with the database uh, back in the day was that you had to you had to kind of like uh, add timestamps into your data. Yeah. Um, and then if you wanted to reconstruct the database as of a particular time, it was kind of on your own on your own dime, basically. You know, you had to either you had to design it up front so that all of the all of the tables all had the same type of date fields in them. Yeah. And that's what everyone did. You know, and then you basically had to make a query that said, okay, give me the information across all these different tables, um, you know, as of that time. So how does that differ, you know, I, mean, I do know the answer, but fuck it, I'll just ask you anyway. How does that differ for, for your database, you know? So do you have to put all these timestamps all over the place? and Or, you know, how do you get to a particular snapshot in time? Yeah, so um, the answer is that, that all, these, all the timestamps are sort of implicitly recorded unless you specify yeah, you know, um, a valid time along with your transaction. So, so the transaction time and the valid times that are recorded will be um, according to the the, the the current time of the, um, the the crux node that's that's making that insertion. Um, now, there are some implications around well, what happens to the crux node. Clocks are slight, sort of slightly different and all that kind of thing. But we'll talk about that later. But at the, at the lowest level, um, you know, you're not having to manually manage these timestamps, but you're not precluded from then inserting additional timestamps inside mm. of the documents themselves. Um, so you can model um, sort of domain times uh, in addition to to valid times. Um, so as is well. the is the the valid time kind of a mandatory uh, thing in Crux document? So it's, the valid time isn't inside the document, although okay. I I think there are advantages to putting it inside the document because then mm -hmm. you're able to query against it. But um, yeah, but by by default, valid time is um, just simply a way of making corrections to this temporal view. So, uh, how, how does the uh, schema look like? Because I'm I'm trying to understand this from the uh, trying to contrast it with something like MongoDB or the NoSQL database like Cassandra or something, or I'm trying to understand it from the if I'm trying to understand it from the relation model. So, how do you contrast them with these two types of uh, databases? So I'm not an expert on the, the MongoDB query um, language, but um, my understanding is that MongoDB does give you some reasonably sophisticated ways of navigating around, but it's still not generic, you know, yeah. sort of um, efficient recursive graph queries. Um, so so like, yeah, uh, MongoDB won't automatically index all the fields, whereas Crux takes that view that actually, if you just index everything, then you can do these, these graph queries very efficiently. Mm -hmm. um, but there is no schema, so the indexes aren't um, being built uh, to, to correspond with a uh, the schema that you design up front. It just happens that when you insert a document, all the fields are automatically processed. And um, if this only happens at the first level of fields. Like if you had nested fields within the document, they wouldn't mm -hmm. get indexed. So um, again, there's a nuance there. But uh, essentially, the, the fact that it's, it's schema-free, it's schemaless, means that um, uh, the indexing is very simple. And that you can design these graph queries to do schema on read. Oh, okay. So I don't need to specify that. For example, so I can I can um, I'm just thinking out loud. Like the if I'm getting started, then I, I I put up crux, and then I can put any Eden document into into the database. That's it. So it's it's the experience is similar to MongoDB, for example. There I just throw in some JSON slash BSON document, and then I'm done. And then it automatically thinks, okay, this is these are the fields I have. 
and the next document can have a different schema, so to speak, um, different fields in in the same collection. So um, from from the storage wise, what, what what is the concept you have? Like, is there uh, every document is independent, or can I have like collection of documents like other document stores? So uh, currently, everything is in a, a single um, sort of monolithic collection. That there is no there is no separate um, abstraction which we've defined as collection. Okay. Um, but because of the way it's indexed, again, you can pretty efficiently model your own sort of collection semantics. Mm -hmm. um, and, and of course, you know, you could have multiple Crux databases as well if you did want to um, yeah. have different collections. So it's like the ultimate okay. spreadsheet where you just basically just put data on this huge grid and you just pick out the information. Like you say, schema on read, you just decide which bit, which view you want to have when you read the thing rather than when you write it. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a nice way of thinking about it. Um, certainly spreadsheets are uh, you know, quite novel in terms of making programming simpler uh, for some value of programming. And uh, I'd like to think that Crux makes databases simpler, um, again, for some value of database, but uh, Crux certainly makes it easy to, to have that on-ramp from, okay, I'm just gonna store these, these documents. I don't really know what's in them. That's, you know, that's the MongoDB use case. Um, but then as you want to build tighter and tighter constraints around how you're querying, querying and, and um, doing further indexing on those documents, uh, you, know, you have that flexibility without having to bolt on a whole different uh, query engine. So just a quick question on that then, because I know you guys are very seated in like practical, the practical world of, you know, finance and business and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I Again, back in the day, people were always very concerned about you know the correctness of data, especially for for like governance perspective, you know, for to to make sure that they conform to regulations and stuff like this. So, do what's the kind of motivation for having this totally freeform uh, model, or is that just is it a completely separate sort of what's driven that? What's driven that kind of like? Is there a business use case there that you're kind of trying to answer? Is I suppose just the question. So I, 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 I have an answer, which is that uh, uh, Hawkan, who, who built this uh, primarily, he um, he built the simplest possible thing he could in the shortest amount of time, shortest amount of time, and uh, that's why it is the way it is. Um, but he's done it with a view that everything else is um, something you can decide later or, or design later. Mm. Um, so it's not necessarily the case that that Crux does everything you could possibly want to do in terms of yeah, access controls and um, uh, validation on, on rights and that sort of thing, and, and even things like transaction functions. But the view is that all of these things can be achieved on top of what the, the core already provides. But the core the core is simple um, for for maintainability reasons. Yeah, I think it's more. It's not necessarily the simplest thing that we could get done in the shortest time. It's it's more that the design of Crux is layered. So mm -hmm. we want the we want the core to be as fundamental as possible. Yeah. So we don't want to have stuff in the core that you can add as like a decorating layer. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the direction of travel. And Crux has this layered sort of design. So things like aggregating data, uh, extending the temporal capability, um, those are things that 
will come in as middleware or decorators or mm. maybe even because Crux is open, it's, it exposes mm. all these various protocols and you can swap the various bits and pieces. It's unbundled in, in that design. Mm. Uh, so it's entirely possible that someone will create a library out there uh, that configures Crux in a certain way that adds their own code, then we'll take that over time into our repository. Um, and we want Crux. It's a bit like the way I think about the design is a bit like the sun, like in the center of the sun. It's like, you know, the photons take the longest to get out from there or in there, right? And that's a bit like the the core of Crux. It's going to take the longest to evolve mm-hmm. because what we absolutely don't want to do at this stage is, I mean, the scheme is a classic example. Like if we add that into the uh, the core now, then there'll be some people out there that would be like, well, you know, why why do that like i don't necessarily need the schema on write i prefer it on read mm-hmm. so if we keep it out of the core and then we add it to the higher level where it's optional then everybody sort of has uh, you know their piece of the cake and can eat it like because mm-hmm. then we satisfy um both concerns so it's it's kind of yeah it's it's wanting to do the simplest thing but um it's very much been the philosophy of of crux just to really keep that core simple and lean and um, and you should see Crux as a less of a sort of black box, but more of a customizable open box. Right. And uh, you know, you can look at the core, you can extend it, you can augment it, you can play with it, and you can add to it. So maybe maybe it's on that note, then actually, John, is like what what design principles are you kind of operating on? You know, what are your kind of core goals with Crux? I think. Uh, so one design goal is the layered architecture uh, yeah. that, that that we mentioned, and the whole layered design, the layered thinking is um, a thing in its own right. Mm. So, so that's one thing. Um, the other thing is openness. So mm. we really want to, Crux to be open. It's the architecture is open. It's unbundled. Mm. So we use um, we use Kafka as the event log, but we also swap out Kafka. We have a local event log that isn't quite as powerful, but if you just want to get going for your pet shop and play about, then you can use that. Uh, I'm sure someone in time will come up with, um, you rats know. or something, yeah. Yeah, like Pulsar or, you know, just yeah. swap out Kafka something else or rats or whatever you just said. Um, raft. Raft. Yeah. Cool. Um don't know what that is, but it sounds cool. It's a consensus <laughs> algorithm, basically. Yeah. Okay, sweet. Yeah, why not? Like, I mean, there are some semantics that Kafka has. Like, it's a, it, it's this log of events and it's replayable. Um, mm. So as long as, because the way that Crux works is that you stand up a Crux node. It has a local database, a local sort of the indexes that we build that sit on top of a KV store. And the first thing that Crux, a Crux node will say is, hey, I haven't got any data, so I'm just going to replay it. From, from this upstream event log that is also mm. notionally part of Crux. Mm. Um, and then it will use that sort of to keep itself informed, to keep up to date. Um, so that, that that open nature, you can swap out the Kafka bit if you want to for something else. You can swap out the, uh, we build these bi-temporal indexes on mm. top of a KV store. Mm. And the two that we're shipping with is LMDB and RocksDB. Mm-hmm. And from the get-go, we actually provide a choice that they have slightly different characteristics rocks is faster to ingest but lmdb is faster to query um rocks is built by facebook it's tremendously sort of powerful you can imagine all the development firepower it's had mm. um but we like that idea of like crux is a it's kind of framework of pluggable parts and that openness precedes it it's also open source it's mm. entirely open um and we, we we want to try and have design conversations in the open and just get the community to 
to be engaged. So openness in terms of communication, the source nature of it, the design nature of it. And, uh, and yeah, that's a, that's a guiding principle. Um, yeah, I mean, I think those are the two that I would have. Jeremy's got some more d- design sort of guiding principles then. But, yeah. Well, yeah, I, 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 uh, I just hope the um, foundations of Crocs go on to enable us to build bigger and better things um, as, as a community uh, enclosure and, and elsewhere. Um, you know, Crux, of course, is built enclosure, uh, but it does have a lot of uh, Java um, interop and um, you've been looking at doing a, a rewrite the core in Rust to maybe get some shape for a little bit, little bit of performance. Um, uh, but but you know, fundamentally, you know, it's, it's a closure thing, but actually we have a, a fully-fledged Java API and, and we think the, the capabilities that, um, that, that Crux offers are useful in so many domains mm-hmm. and uh, well outside of, of the closure community, uh, which, which we're really excited to, to sort of Bring to bear, um, and, and we think this is a quite a, an untapped uh, area of, of thinking. This whole bitemporality. So, um, I, I almost feel like we're, we're bringing bitemporality to the, to the masses in a way that I don't think we've really seen delivered by others. Yeah, I wanted to riff on the before we leave bitemporality because it is quite kind of dry on one sense and a little bit esoteric. And you know, if you're honest, you might have a question which is like, why do we really care? And uh, I think it was Jeremy that really got got me thinking about these particular sort of lines with which is that time is just fundamental it's if you think about what we do in software we try and create a model that represents part of the real world mm. right yeah i mean that's that's what we're doing yeah yeah and time is just you know time is half of space time like time is it's just so important like it's fundamental to everything right it, it yeah, really yeah. is intrinsic yeah and then as ray said like at the start you know, he was sort of messing around, adding like database columns. Like, you know, I'm going to add like a time column on this table, yeah. a time column on that. It's a bit of slapdash. Maybe I need two or three more. Jeremy said, oh, let's get a valid two, valid from. Let's all just have a big time frenzy party in our database model. <laughs> yeah. But but it, isn't that weird? It's like, do you not ever stop to, to, to think like, why am I doing this? Like time is so fundamental, right? It's like yep. a database should support. It should help me with time. I shouldn't have to like do battle with time mm, yeah. and have that friction. And uh, we we found that when you don't really stop to, to sort of model time and think about time, about what you need from time in your model and your tools, um, mm. then you're sort of on the back foot. And then you're doing exactly that, like adding database columns in here, mm. doing mm. updates to mark which version was live on a particular mm. point in time and all this sort of stuff. And we've all, you know, most of us have done this. We've all added like various columns. Mm. But it's always that feeling that you're on the back foot and you're always catching up with time whereas if you if you think about time a bit more like this bi-temporal need we've got valid time we've got transaction time what other time things do you need like you know what um mm. different pieces of functionality do you need if if you consider these up front then you're on the front foot and a lot of that complexity and time that you, that that costs you sort of having to put the complexity into these models to cope with time you don't have to deal with and you spend more time thinking about what the business needs the functionality that you need to build for them yeah, I mean, I think just just one more point on that because I think time. I mean, funny enough, because we we're doing like blockchain stuff, so time becomes things for us as well. Um, and the biggest thing that we, you know, that I like to talk about with time now is just the fact that in the seventies and in the eighties, when like the big databases kicked off, like you know, um, DB two and Oracle and 
you know, Infomix and Ingress and all those big guys, you know, all the relational models. The reason they were how they were was mostly because of constraints in terms of storage and terms yeah. of CPU and things yeah. like that. Um, you know, and obviously hardware and cloud and all this kind of stuff has moved massively in the last kind of like 10 years at the, you know, at least. But you know, generally the overall like arc of computing has been towards giving us the capabilities of freeing us from some of those fundamental constraints. And and I think it feels a bit like people have been like this, like dog whipped into thinking that this is a fun, that, that, that these limits are kind of fundamental. But as you say, they're not. Time is actually fundamental. And we've been mm. fighting against it for 30 or 40 years because we haven't had the firepower to deal with it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's... Also the cost, right? I mean, it was extremely costly. I think in one of the talks, Rich was talking about this place-oriented programming yeah. that we are used to because of the cost. And um, the, I think people were, uh, at least my, my uh, limited experience was that people were thinking about the time. I, I remember in one of the projects... Uh, I was using Hibernate, and Hibernate has this audit, uh, automatic audit thing annotation for every entity. Cool. And it will create a different um, <laughs> table for every entity. It will, you know, capture the information automatically. But the thing was that uh, database was Oracle, so you know you don't have much, you know, control on how it evolves and whatever or not. And and it is also expensive to store like all this data. But the domain that I was working in was um, court uh, related stuff, like the legal things. So everything is practically immutable, and everything had to be, you know, kept yeah. for for because it's it's a big international, um, like a uh, international criminal court uh, sort of work. So that that every transaction need to be uh, audited or or kept the data. And, and the biggest problem there was that none of the database were supporting because it was too expensive to store all this shit. Mm. It's it's because you keep a copy of everything. So that yeah, I mean, I think that that's the thing. Yeah, it's so. It's kind of fascinating when you start to look into the history of temple databases because in the 90s there were like these these uh, people like Richard Snodgrass and they're proposing mm. extensions to the SQL standard which mm. is like okay we, we need to have like system time where you can query as of system time we we, we yeah. need to have these temporal predicates yeah. but you can imagine just like you said it's like you know the answer there is to store everything and yeah. in in the 90s they're like what are you crazy like I'm going to store every fact like a coral reef like everything and you can go <laughs> back and forth that's going to cost yeah. tons I'm going to have to get somebody from Dell out or something to put a new yeah. rack into my sort of put a new bit into my rack. It's going to cost me a fortune. So, yeah. it, so they had these dreams in the nineties, and we've been looking at the papers, and you know we've been geeking out on it a little bit. And there's lots of interesting speculation back then, and they thought this was going to be the next big thing to free us, like you say, of these time constraints to help with this problem. But it turns mm-hmm. out that it just didn't really take off, and it is like you are both saying because well, we think because of those um, cost implications. Yeah. And so, because we're talking about the architecture and, and because of the change, the underlying technology has changed a lot. So, you know, we, we could do much different things. So whenever we're talking about databases, you know, obviously CAP theorem comes up. So what, which out of CAP, uh, what are you not providing in, in Crux? So consistency or mm. obviously it has to be consistent, you know, like otherwise if I'm pushing the facts on them. I don't see that on a, on, a, on, the, on the table that's fucked up. Well, no, and I think availability. consistency is always optional, actually. But okay, yeah. <laughs> isn't that the point? Isn't it availability and partition, network partition? Yeah, that's the... partition tolerance. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so 
so the I think the official answer is we we sacrifice petition tolerance. Um, I don't think that's um, right because you're using Kafka, Kafka. And so <laughs> that doesn't sound right. You know, you've got multiple nodes. So my guess is that you're you're not so concerned probably. about consistency. We we have consistency as of the transaction time because the transaction time is set when it goes into Kafka. Yeah, yeah but yeah. consistency is like atomic transactions and serializability and all this kind of stuff, you know. That, yeah, that's when you get into like com- complicated conversations where about time actually, and I think it's. I mean, we can really go into that. Actually, but why not? Fuck it, you know. Because because I think it's a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> Ser- serializability and like you know this whole the the definition of serializability and like repeatable reads and all these kind of things. They're all a lot of horseshit. You know, they're they're not really well standardized actually. So, so, so the way the way Crux works is everything is written to a single Kafka partition. Um, ah, in, okay. In the, in, the, in the sorry, all the transactions are written to a single Kafka transaction partition. Or you use so the they partition. Have be, they have to be serialized. Use partitions. Um, yeah, because it's a single. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and so the coordination um, is is really about you know, who who gets there first. So by by using uh, CAS, you know, compare and swap, and uh, and retries that's that's how the nodes coordinate there is no sort of um communication between the nodes to coordinate rights to that transaction partition so well can, but the, can, the, can the simple bit... point is like you know they the, the, the kind of like uh numbers zero to ten yeah and i'm writing zero and then vj is writing one john is writing two and you're writing three jeremy you know so we're all how do we how do we order these things so I go first, you know, how do you make sure that it's all ordered in the right way? This yeah, is a big Kafka's problem, job. I think. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the point of when it goes on to Kafka. So um, Kafka gives, gives us that guaranteed ordering. And then you can guarantee that all of the crux nodes are going to pick up the transactions in the same order. Okay, then you, then you deal yeah. with the valid time, I guess, as a sort of mechanism for dealing with this straggler problem. Yes, Kafka. yes. But Kafka doesn't do that, right? Because if you have multiple producers, I'm assuming every every architecture. No, there is no order does. in Kafka. No, per partition, yes, yeah. there is an order in, in I'm not talking about the order in which you put in and then you read, you get the same order. That's okay if you have one partition. Cool. You know? But if you have multiple producers and they are writing, it's first one wins, that's it. The data that enters into partition. Is is based on which producer is trying to connect yeah, first. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and, th- and that's actually funnily enough where bitemporality does come into play uh, because yeah. like we we've had this situation um, at a l- large investment bank and um, they 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 have this cut off at five o'clock and at, and that's the end of day right like right, at five right. o'clock yeah. they yeah. want to draw a line in the sand and say yeah. for all that data that we've had throughout the day thus far, we want to use this to calculate our P&L reports, who gets a bonus, you know, whatever, what's our risk exposure, all that stuff done at, done at this five o'clock cutoff. Yeah. But the problem is, as you say, it's like in the real world, it's like, well, you know, crap, there's like a data center in Hong Kong, there's, there's a front office system uh, um, inside the US and they're spread all across the world. So, so, so the data does arrive out of order and it's a little bit jumbled up, like it will get on some message bus in the middle and massage, whatever. So by the time yeah. it gets into your system, it's a little bit all over the place. And then at least you've, if you've got valid time, then you can use that to your advantage because you sort of reorder it after the fact. 
So you say, okay. well, let's let let's give some window of like you know sort of five o'clock as a cutoff day plus five minutes of transaction time beyond that, and then yeah. within that we'll then query against valid time, and that should be our end of day. So where is the this transaction time? coming from because if i have multiple nodes multiple producers which are actually writing to the same partition there is is the transaction time because kafka doesn't add anything right so it's just you know bytes in bytes out kafka doesn't care what kind of data that you're putting in so it cannot add anything there so is the transaction time coming from the nodes themselves no kafka does have like the messages get get stamped when they go onto kafka with a timestamp and we use that for the valid time mm, you only get the message id right because you only get the offset. No, it has a timestamp associated uh, with the event of going on to Kafka as well. There's metadata on the Kafka messages. Yeah, there, there is metadata, of mm -hmm. course. So the transaction time is basically Kafka, or the, the, the time when you receive into the queue, or sorry, receive into the topic. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. 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 So you can use the valid time to, to put more information to say, okay, this has happened first than the other one because you, 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 your domain knows what is first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay. That the messages definitely do have an offset. Um, I, I need to check yeah. exactly how that offset sort of gels with the transaction time. But the transaction okay. time definitely is from the point it hits Kafka, and then okay, it, okay. And, then, and then you can use that to to get some measure of consistency uh, when yeah. when you do reads across those nodes. This is a very interesting design because I I spend a lot of time with Kafka, so uh, you know uh, I had some fun with it. <laughs> Before they added this authentication and SSL based stuff, you know, especially we had to use it at a bank, and that was much more funky, you know, securing it. Um, that's why I, I'm curious about using Kafka as a data store because then um, that means I need to keep my, uh, sorry, the, the persistence uh, for Kafka is essentially forever in that case, right? Because you're, you're using it at a data store. That's right. Okay. So that, uh, yeah, because that, that is some, some use case that uh, that I haven't thought about before because usually when you use Kafka, you're you're using it as a quote-unquote message bus. So you have like seven days or eight days of uh, data and then uh, persistence uh, per, per topic. You can decide that one as well. So wh why Kafka? Why not something like Foundation DB or something like uh, a different store? Do you want to go? Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, although you're probably more qualified, but uh, I think Kafka, because of its, uh, because it is log oriented, um, there's I guess less overhead in, in storage. Um, mm. Yes, you're you're right that the common use case for Kafka doesn't have this unlimited retention. And if you look at most of the managed Kafka hosting options, they don't offer unlimited yeah. retention. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I know it's an evolving story as well. Exactly how. Uh, efficiently Kafka can support that. Um, so uh, John mentioned Pulsar earlier, you know, there are other options which provide very similar um, APIs that that we had used from Crux to to do that log storage. So Kafka was just something we were familiar with and could get working quickly. Um, but John, did you have a, another angle? Well, Kafka does often it, I mean, does offer the infinite uh, retention. So, of course, yeah. so, that, so that's what's advertised. Um, so it is something that we can take advantage of. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it does go against like the common use case, um, but the way that we, so one thing we haven't really like, you know, seeing as we're sort of getting into detail in Kafka, um, I feel like I want to throw up the other big design feature of Crux, which is that the Crux operates with two different topics. 
Um, mm-hmm. So let's say that you're throwing a document into Crux, right? Job done, you're sort of happy. Um, that document, uh, what you will do is that you'll, you'll fashion up a transaction. So you'll say, I want to put this document into Crux. So that transaction will go onto the transaction topic. And that topic is going to be quite small by default because the content, the documents go onto a different topic, right? Yeah. That That's why we can sort of hopefully get away uh, for quite a long time with having a single partition for the transaction topic. Um, mm-hmm. And then, but the content's gone to a different topic and we've got more options there potentially with sharding and, uh, and also compaction because the key on that document topic is a hash of the document. So, yeah. so, so we'll get some ease of compaction, ease of duplication, uh, mm-hmm. which you know is a mini sort of feature for free in a way. Um, yeah. But the main reason that we design this is, is really uh, to be able to evict data in a clean way. So the transaction logs immutable, like you, you can't change the transactions, but all a, all a transaction has is like a pointer to the hash of a document and that lives on the content topic, the document topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it's kind of built from the ground up for this use case of like GDPR, et cetera, where you can evict. Mm-hmm. So you can go to a crook and say, I want to evict this document and then it will it will cleanse it from that Kafka um, document log. Yeah. And and how does that, that work when you're replaying? Because if I understand correctly, um, so you send an evict command or something, yeah. and then that gets into transaction, but and the real document gets evicted from 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 Kafka. Yeah. Um, how, how does it work when you're replaying? Because then it will, when you when you're catching up uh, from uh, assuming that there is another node that just starts up. Mm. Obviously, Kafka will start sending. Okay, you know this is the first item, so yeah. start from here. Um, well, so how, how how does that that work? Yeah, I mean it's that definitely a bit of nuance there. So. So really, the document has to get killed from three different places, like the document um, topic. You know, that's the main place we have to worry about. Uh, you, yeah. you can send a nil, I think, into Kafka. You know, for for this message for this yeah, hash, yeah, and exactly. then it will kill it. Um, yeah. Then um, we have to evict it from the underlying KV store as well, which yeah. like the local nodes kind of storage. Um, and then we have to evict it from a cache, like the caches that we have inside of Crux between the document storage and the query engine. Uh, yeah. so, so we have to do all those things. Um, I think when you replay it, like when you replay the transaction log, it you know it just points at a document. Um, there is some synchronization inside of a the Crux indexing process, so the transaction is pointing at documents. Crux will sort of hang on until it's got the documents that have been pointed at by the transactions. Um, but then when a transaction sort of comes in, and you know we have we 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 know that that document isn't there because there's a nil essentially for that document. Um, yeah. Then it will just not index it. it. It will just say, look, this document doesn't exist. I can't index it. Okay. One of the interesting things about Kafka, though, I mean, that I think that, um, that again, I mean, I remember back in the day, you know, talking about like hundreds of transactions per second, uh, you know, everyone was like, you know, we, we got Oracle to 100 transactions a second or, you know, 200 transactions a second. And now we're looking at like, you know, thousands of transactions a second, you know, on a node, never mind, overall. So, I mean, what, what, have you done any load testing on this thing? Because it must be pretty, pretty good at ingesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, we. So we want. Um, let me go in a slightly different direction to answer that question. Uh, okay. So you asked me about design principles at the start. Yeah. Uh, I sort of neglected to, like, you know, scaling is important for this project. Like, you know, we want this to scale with lots of data, and the unbundled. I will get. To answer your question, right? This, uh, this, this the, is uh, fine, yeah. But the unbundled... <laughs> you you can of, ignore him as well. It's going to drain on now forever. Um, I want my question un- answered, John. Come on. 
This is a today program, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, but, yeah. But scalability. The unbundled yeah. nature of Crux basically helps yeah. you scale, right? Because you yeah. can say, look, I don't much care for Kafka. I want to use my local sort of version that we uh, ship with uh, mm-hmm. that you can use. Or maybe you'll write a... Maybe you'll take on the burden of writing uh, to fulfill the protocol, some other implementation that doesn't use Kafka, but something a bit more lightweight. But the point is that you can scale up, like the unbundled nature and the pluggability of it means you can swap out the components. And as you need more power, mm-hmm. you then make use of RocksDB, which the people at Facebook have built to scale extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, a, that's just one nice thing about the scalability. When it's open, mm-hmm. you've got options to scale. Mm-hmm. Um, the other scalability point uh, is around the indexing. So, so using RocksDB, mm. the algorithms at the heart, um, they might not be like the nippiest out the door for small data sets, mm. um, but then it really comes into its own when you've got like lots and lots of data mm. um, because the query sort of compiles uh, to kind of indexes against the underlying KV store, mm. um, which by the way, a nice side effect of that is that the results are lazily streamed from the query engine. So you don't have to materialize all of the data in memory and then pass it through each clause. It just comes from the, the query engine in a in a funky way. Um, yeah, so that's so that's scaling. Uh, and, and then so there's a sort of full blown crux topology that we might envisage where you got Kafka and then you've got something like Rocks or LMDB that's backing up those KV stores with the query engine on top. That is built to scale. Uh, we 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 have been load testing it, so we've load tested it. Uh, we've we've load tested different products just to get a feel for it. Um, we've used test suites, uh, not just our own. So we started off uh, like my first commits were adding some some shitty tests, you know, and then like we went around and Hawk and said, no, this we need to be a bit more professional in this rather than sort of foobar. Let's let's see what's actually in the industry. So we went and we took some tests. Um, Jeremy's going to be much better to to sort of name them, but we took some from the University of Waterloo, which um, really sort of test the graph queries uh, kind of kind of at scale. So it sort of like sweats them as well. Like it, it gets really sort of difficult join condition graph queries and then puts enough volume through those to stress them. And the idea is that if you can create a graph query engine that can sort of fulfill all of these different what div tests, then you're in a pretty pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. And there's also these uh, lub tests as well. Um, Jeremy, can you just pitch in and describe the test? I think it's quite interesting. It's worth... Uh... Yeah, well, but, but so both of these test suites um, are actually sort of RDF-based tests. So they're, they're designed for testing um, traditional RDF triple stores. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, you know, this sort of property graph, graph index um rdf dualism uh like it, it it means that we can very easily adapt these rdf tests so that's that's what's been done so i, I think the like the official uh, academic academic sort of uh, definition for what kind of graph query there is like a subgraph isomorphism um or, or graph pattern matching um but yeah these these all these test suites you know they're, they're, they're testing the um the ability for for crux to handle like these just absurdly complex queries um, but also these ones with, of, of very different shapes um, so you know, w- well beyond like an actual use case because um, they're, they're, they're all generative testers, uh, tests. So they're, they're um, uh, you know, some of these tests like take minutes to complete a single query. Um, so you know they really like max out the amount of memory. Some of them, some of them time out, and that's kind of on purpose that they're real stress tests. Um, so that, there's a whole range of stuff. Um, but uh, but by doing comparative testing with um, uh, Sail, um, which is like an RDF uh, open source Java thing. Um, you know, we've been able to validate that actually, yeah, 
Crux is Crux is doing quite well against the uh, the, the state of the art in this space. So I have, I think, two questions about one about scalability and one about testing. So I think I'll, I'll start with the scalability thing. Um, so you said you uh, by by design, uh, I, I can understand that uh, transaction topic needs to be one partition, obviously, because you want to keep the keep the order. Um, uh, what about the documents topic? I mean, because one of the things with Kafka is that if I'm trying to start a cluster, then I need to decide what is the, uh, you know, how many uh, uh, replicas I need per partition. So that, that that is usually how much of this is leaking through uh, Crux design, or is it completely under under my control as an administrator, so I can decide. Okay, document topic can have fifty partitions, and then I can decide uh, because uh, one of the issues or, or one of the design problems with Kafka is that if the partition becomes super big, then you know it's not really easy to bring in new brokers into the system because everything needs to be caught up. Uh, and, and there is always one leader partition, so everything connects to the same uh, same thing, same machine. So how much does uh, uh, Crux enforce single topic or single uh, partition thing for document store? I think right. Right now, you can set Kafka up um, yourself, and then mm-hmm. uh, Crux can just consume off it. So, so, okay. so, so it's up to you how you configure it. Mm-hmm. Um, you are right in that from the get go. Uh, you know, we expect those single topics. Um, okay. But then I, I think as we as we grow as the Crux and project matures, um, there's definitely things that we can do on a content topic. And uh, sharding is on the roadmap as well. So it's something that we want yeah. we want to really investigate and just listen as well. We want to understand. Uh, you know, speak speak to people like yourself and just get a better feel for for what options we've got. But I really like that the the pitch that you made or, or the design decision that you guys made that you know you can um, optionally replace Kafka and then introduce your own layer there. I think that mm-hmm. that that is like a really nice idea because um, as you said, you know, I can replace it with Foundation DB or something else that that I think you know not me. You know, I'm not that smart. So I'm just talking bullshit probably no, no, oh, some, oh, no, some, no, other, some other store you know like uh no it's entirely yeah, it's entirely you know like there are closure protocols and uh you know okay as long as you sort of i mean kafka has the semantics of the replayability and uh, yeah. helps with eviction and uh yeah and has those qualities um but if you can uh if you can fulfill that contract then yeah then you can swap it out and uh yeah that that'll be that'll be an amazing day that'll be awesome if that happens awesome so uh, the, the other question that I had was because you were talking about testing. Uh, uh, are you considering doing like um, what is called a Jepson, Jespen from Efir? Sorry, I, I only call know his maybe. name from the. Yeah, call me maybe. Or, Efer. The fuck? What is his name? <laughs> Shit. Kyle. Kyle. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle Kingsbury. Kingsbury. Sorry. Yeah. Holy fuck. Um, so, uh, are you planning to do any? Uh, tests using Jepson because I think he tests for the split brain issues and network stuff and other stuff as well. Yeah. I think considering it. I think, I mean, I'll just jump in there, but we did look at that, but then um, Crux isn't actually a distributed database in the rawest form because the nodes are single Mm. writer. So so the queries aren't distributed in a way that I think the Jepson test would um, test for. Okay. That's my understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Um, yeah, uh, there are again like um, sort of the nuances when when you would have lots of nodes, um, you you would want to use valid time 
as well as mm -hmm. transaction time to, to run your queries to make sure that you're, let's say you're using the HTTP interface that, that, that the node you're talking to is using uh, like um, a version of the database which exists across other nodes um, because your, your query might go to, to different nodes at different points in time. Um, but but essentially, yeah, there's no distributed query going on. It's it's not uh, it's not deep graph. Um, it's, it's a much simpler okay. model. Actually, that's worth exists. mentioning just uh, briefly before uh, before we skim over it. Um, there, there is this. Uh, you can ship it in different ways, so you can put it as a jar file in your project, and that is it. Like everything is local. The the KV oh. store, the replacement for Kafka, that's local. Happy days, like your SQLite thing. Um, but then, if you wanted to, you could then sort of it ships with a HTTP server, so you can still do that where um, you know you fire crux or crux node somewhere and it has a HTTP server and then crux ships like a HTTP client that you can call to do those calls, or you can go full blown and have like a suite of crux nodes behind a load balancer feeding off the event log Kafka, and then your mm. app can call them. Um, or you can ship your applications um, as Crux nodes, as, as Crux an embedded jar file, and then it then just subscribes and starts getting those updates and builds up the local data uh, that it oh. needs. That's, that's pretty cool. That means you can just have like, um, if I have one application that is using Crux, then then I can ship another application embedded Crux and then they can connect to the same data store and then yeah. sync up. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like the original version or vision for for databases. You know, multiple yeah, applications exactly. using the same database. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what's the op very what novel? Are the, uh, what are the kind of like? Op what are you thinking in terms of like the operation? No, what are you thinking? No, in terms of the uh, operational uh, models, so you've mentioned like a couple there. But I mean, do you are you um, are you kind of like prescribing a, like a, or preferring a couple in the early days? I wouldn't go that far. I think uh, I think we'd say that we're a little less keen on our homegrown event log as opposed to Kafka. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> but 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 we recognise that people want to get on and play yeah, and then have yeah. something that is you know that they can just work with as a get go. I mean, the local one does have the backup and uh, restore capability as well, so mm. it should be uh, should it should be battle tested. Um, mm. But uh, uh, yeah, we'd expect like for serious use. Um, then right now, um, the, the main option is Kafka as the event log. Um, mm. But then um, I, I dare say uh, that I don't think we have any strong opinion as to whether you would always say Crux has always got to be like its own HTTP server thing, and I always communicate via REST to use it. Um, I think we're ambivalent on whether you want to do that, which is fine. You can do that, or whether you just want to ship your application as like these single instances uh, that 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 wrap Crux as a library and then it spins up the local data on disk. Mm. I think both are okay. There is some backup and restore stuff in there. Uh, you know, so a node, if it fires up fresh, it doesn't have to sort of replay everything from Kafka. Um, mm. the, the idea is it can feed off a backup that's been made at some point using a snapshot. Um, okay. So the, the, the reading part, uh, the, the, um, so you, you have a different, Query language, if I understand correctly, or, or like a um, uh, what what kind of query language you use to 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 query all this data that we are storing in? So it's uh, it's Eden. Um, so it's a, like yeah, Eden flavored data log. Um, so you know it will look familiar to to many people in the closed community, um, but mm -hmm. there are some differences. Um, the, the primary difference is actually the the fact you can't query uh, using sort of wildcard attributes. Um, okay. so, you, so you have to define your attributes in the, in the query. You can't 
you can't say show me all the attributes um, relating to this entity. You'd have to go to the document to look for that. Yeah, um, because you don't have a schema to look up all the stuff. So obviously that's the so it's document uh, by is document it the, is example it the reason? type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, you, you could um, you, you can query the uh, like the statistics. So you know, we, uh, Crux records the statistics of the attributes that are that are indexed and ingested. So you, you can look at attributes that are in the database, but um, just not that there is just isn't a specific yeah, um, for, for a given entity. Show me all the attributes it has. Um, okay. Index. So, um, so, so yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it's it's got two primary indexes um, for looking up things. It's first one the data log that we support is inspired by Datomics and data scripts, um, but it's not compatible. So you couldn't take an app and just use it straight away. Um, one of the main reasons is this is coming back to this layered. We just want to get the basics, the fundamentals right. Mm. So there's lots of stuff that that we could imagine being written as decorators. We might supply some decorators ourselves as part of Crux, part of the Crux repo. Mm. Um, but we're intentionally not doing a one for one to sort of support everything because uh, because we see it as layered. It's yeah. like you've got yeah. Crux yeah. and then you, you can add some helpers. You know, you can riff on those and people can contribute different ones. And if I if I understand the design correctly, the the query engine or the reading stuff will will never hit Kafka because it it is always going to either RocksDB or or uh, LMDB. Is that right? That that's right. Uh, okay. It, it's also worth noting that it's always querying um, a, a single point in uh, in this valid time transaction time continuum. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So it, it's uh, it's it's not querying a range. Uh, within that continuum. So it's not like um, it's not like um, oh man, what's it called? That database where you could essentially give a query and it would do live updates. Um, oh, like a stream. Yeah, like uh, a stream. Cursor, cursor in MongoDB, for example. No, there was another one, wasn't it? The one that kind of like rethink. Burned. Rethink DB. That's it. Yeah. Rethink DB. Yeah, yeah. 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 It actually pushes the data to you, right? We can just yeah. Keep so you you, you make you make essentially a, a query on a view, and if that view changes, then the data comes gets updated in that view. But you're not like that. You're basically saying that you take a, a snapshot essentially, and then if things change, do you get alerted of change? Because that's one of the nice things about event systems. I think. I mean, it's one of the things that I was kind of have been a bit passionate about over the years. Is that you know. Um, I don't. I don't want to necessarily have to constantly query back to the database all the time. One of the things RethinkDB was nice about was that you could make a query, and then you know if one small bit of data changes, it would come to you. It would tell you, you know, or you're, you're a listener on that transact on that view. Um, and I think Datomic has the ability to, you know, you can register like a transaction listener essentially to say, okay, if that schema changes or that that bit of data changes, then. I, Tell me about it. Do you have something kind of similar to that, or where you can listen to transactional events? Yeah. So, so I think there's, there's two levels to to this. Um, so the first is, yeah, like at the granularity of the document, you can absolutely listen to um, the transaction log. Uh, we, you know, we, we don't have um, like a a, tr- a trivial way or like a pre-canned way of doing this, but but certainly the hooks are there, the API is there to mm-hmm. to listen to the transaction log, um, filter it for just the document hashes that you're interested in mm-hmm. um, and then and then re- react to those of course um, and then I guess the, the other level you're asking about is is for want of a better term streaming data log mm-hmm. um, uh, which is 
in the, essentially this differential data flow um, mm. research, which which is going on, and and um, Nico and, and others uh, are building 3DF and um, uh, yeah, sort of solutions in this area, and uh, those aren't incompatible with 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 Crux, but Crux is more of a traditional database that doesn't offer streaming queries. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I would say that that differential data flow stuff is is so um, uh, academic still that you know it, it doesn't it wouldn't cover the same range of data log queries that mm-hmm. Crux is able to. So so maybe you could do a subset, and and the the data log could be quite similar. So if you had the two running side by side, you, you could get the best of both worlds. Yeah, um, I think again, so, it's like one of these things where because you've left it nice and open, it, you you probably got the ability to eventually hook that layer that on top by the sound of things. You know, it's not it's not like a closed up operation. Yeah, that's the that's really the answer that I was going to suggest as well. In the, the the sort of layered kind of openness, um, we would typically always just say, well, develop a crux access pattern. You know, mm-hmm. like you can. Put a crux node out there that then listens at a lower level, sees sees the changes, and then reacts to it on a way that then yeah. can present it to some other system. I mean, the nice thing about it is that you've kind of like because one of the things that is like uh, kind of annoying about traditional databases is that, or in the past anyway, now we're, we're breaking all these walls down. Like the fourth the fourth wall was time, you know. So. And the other one is like this transaction stuff. So all the kind of APIs that the database vendors had access to, but you didn't have access to, because you've unbundled it, you know, you've done the Martin Kleppman thing, inverted the database, you've now got access to the sort of transaction stuff. And then, like I say, you can layer stuff on top of that as you wish, really. So that's that's a nice thing because you've yeah because you've got you've given us access to the all the actual raw data, then. It's very yeah, you composable. Wanted basically. to like yeah. read the Kafka and you know get in between yourself and Crux. There's, there's a myriad of possibilities. Uh, I'm sure there's more work. Like right now, the the the, the bytes are serialized using Nippy onto Kafka. So right. there's a degree of openness that isn't quite open. Um, and we've got a GitHub issue about maybe ch- changing the serialization format or whatever. You, you, sure, you know, sure, yeah, sure. We need to consider yeah. that. But 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 yeah, fundamentally, there's it's kind of opens. So you can pick and choose and get in there and weave and change things. Yeah. Probably one 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 last question from me about the Kafka related thing is that um, so so how does the read scalability work? Because in if you have uh, one partition, then essentially every you can only have one consumer because every consumer connects to one. I mean, in a group, you can only have one consumer. The rest of the consumers don't do jack shit. If it, if I don't have multiple partitions, um, so how how does the read scalability uh, did, did you do any tests on how much it is going to scale in terms of reading? And related to that one, um, for example, if I have, um, yeah, uh, because Kafka is pull model, so uh, consumer needs to pull the data, so mm-hmm. Kafka is not going to let you know. So that means there is some level of delay, I mean, quote-unquote delay, because, you know, you, you need to trigger this polling mechanism yeah. and then processing mechanism. So how, how does this these things work? Or, or what, what is your design choice here? Just just in reverse order, because the first question was hard. Um, but, <laughs> well, you're uh, not reading directly from Kafka, so just... No, I mean, to, to sync your RocksDB, you need to read from the Kafka, oh, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah, the story is there. So, so. so you can sync. So you yeah. you can say, like, wait until you've, you've caught up to this particular transaction time. Okay. And 
And then if you have like a gatekeeper kind of crux node uh, where, yeah. where for some reason you want to block until you know a write has been made, then you can do that. You know, you can say like, I, I only want to carry on writing once I know that it's made it all the way through a Kafka and my local RocksDB has been in, updated, it's ingested and now it's up to date so I can carry on. So, yeah, yeah. so, so you can weave in that, that back pressure. Okay. Yeah, because that's that's an interesting point, right? Because you have Kafka, and, and I know um, Kafka design choices. They're they're like, okay, this is not our our, our priority, so we're not going to do this because that's why Kafka is so simple to understand for even mm. you know a person like me that you know they, they they made a really simple design, so to speak, to understand. Um, and and if I'm writing to Kafka, then I can say, okay, make sure that all the um, all the brokers are in sync, so then only acknowledge or something. So I can guarantee that it has been replicated. Yeah. Um, but do you cover the um, the, the tra transaction, so to speak, from uh, if I have seven nodes of, of Crux yep. and I push from one node some data, yep. can I say that acknowledge when this is actually in all the rocks DB level, not just Kafka? You can acknowledge when something... it's gone to you. Uh, so okay. So it's, it's gone into Kafka and then it's come back and you, okay. you can block until it's got to you. Uh, okay. What you can't do right now is is ensure that every single uh, Crux node has got got that data. Yeah. Um, yeah, we don't yeah. have a mechanism to to cope with the fact that for some reason there's a Crux node that's on bad hardware or some micro instance, and it's yeah, um, yeah. it's just slow. Okay. Well, normally it's like a like a replication factor, isn't it? Anyway, you're never going to get full duplication. Uh, Most systems but, don't offer that. In fact, I don't know any no, system that operates in, in, that. In in Kafka, you can say that you can say only let me know when if I have a replication factor of five, then acknowledge when all the uh, replicas have been received yeah, the, the message. Five, but, so, but normally we're running ten or twenty. Though. Yeah. No, that that that's based on your replication factor. If I have ten nodes, I can say replication factor of five. Yeah. yeah. Then I can say either say sure, sure. you know fire and forget, or I can say one node, or I can say all yeah, the yeah. five. That's cool. Uh, but that is like the Kafka level thing, not not. Uh, yeah. But one thing, John. I mean, I, I uh, by just looking at the image, I mean, uh, it was very easy to understand. Like, you know, how how you designed this one. So I really appreciate. Like, it, it's the, the the first part that you put in the website, like openness. That 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 was very evident from the design. So uh, I understand it's still in beta. So maybe I'm asking some stupid questions that I don't understand. But uh, it's, it's actually an alpha. It's, it's amazing. So, so we've got a way. Yeah, to go. sorry, it's, alpha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I, I just saw the GitHub. Your, your own risk. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the, the 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 biggest question, or probably the the first thing, probably everybody who is um, familiar with Closure that comes to their mind is like, how does it compare with Datomic? Mm. So well, I think uh, for the fact it's completely alpha and and it's not mature, and you know, you use at your own risk. Uh, I mean, that's the obvious point, but but. But then um, let's go through the differences. It's schemaless. Uh, Datomic enforces a schema, uh, which is yeah. pros and cons. Like both tools, I believe, have some sharp edges. So you know you can cut yourself on any tool. Um, but one of the sharp edges of Crux is that the data can be inconsistent because we don't enforce a schema. Um, the other one is, as you've highlighted, uh, you know, right now we're shipping with Kafka for serious usage, and that's going to put some people off. Um, that, there are like you know there are some trade offs for Kafka, um, hmm. it's it's kind of heavy. Um, so there's that sort of thing to add in. Um, uh, was it? Oh yeah, the Datomic story is is kind of 
I mean, we are inspired by Datomic. Like Datomic is really sort of the fact of bringing your data close to your application. We've used yeah. Datomic a lot, and uh, you know it's, it, that awesome sort of rapid development story that it comes with. Um, it's fantastic. Um, it's it's really embracing the the cloud with ions. Uh, mm-hmm. So I dare say that if you want a, a mature cloud story, then the money would probably be with Datomic. Um, and also the API is different. You know, Datomic is going to be far more polished. There's going to be more in the data log that you can get access to. Um, Crux, you might have some false starts because we come with a fair bit out the box, but but then there'll be helpers and APIs that people add and there'll be some stuff mm-hmm. in the community. Um, so it really is for the schemaless. Uh, we, we pay a bi-temporal tax just in terms of... Uh, yeah, we we had some conversations early on, which is do do we really advertise the fact it's bi temporal? Because because a lot of people would be like, what? It's just, I mean, what is that? It's a hard sell. But mm. we've chosen to double down on that, double down mm. on it in our architecture. And there is a bi temporal tax. It's it's complexity in terms of uh, our indexer has to work hard to maintain those bi temporal indexes. Um, so it's it's a little bit more. The tool is taking on more complexity. So arguably, you don't have to. But you got to work out if you want your tool to be doing that. Mm. So I, I think you know we can present what what Crux is. Um, it's inspired by Datomic um, and Dayscript and other things. Um, but uh, there's there's enough differences there, and I think those differences will evolve, and time time will ultimately tell. Like in which case, um, one particular tool is better than the other. I mean, I'm sure sure Datomic now for the fact it's not alpha is probably a wiser. <laughs> No, no, I mean, obviously it's it's uh, because we're, we're talking about time. I mean, at this instance, it is alpha, but it is going to move to, you know, production level uh, pretty soon, obviously. So that's uh, that's just an instantaneous state. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, if so, you want if you want some yep. good news about Crux, it's that we launched Crux last week. And uh, hmm. there is that thought, um, you, know, you know, coming on this podcast as well, it's that thought, which is what if uh, we've just made a bad choice or there's something that someone will point out and it's like, oh, yeah, actually that was... That's pretty shockingly bad. You know, it's no one's <laughs> fault, but like, you know, we don't know everything. You know, we're only human, but like, we've got something wrong. And, you know, uh, okay, let's just move on. Or, you know, we're going to take a lot longer to, to sort of change something that's fundamentally incorrect. Um, I'm sure there's, there's big things we need to work on. We've, we've got some things in the roadmap and it's, it's a start. It's a right at the start of a journey. Um, yeah, yeah. But so far, at least, uh, you know, my my big fear is that it's just something's unearthed. Uh, that's the unknown unknown. Uh, it's mm, going to mean yeah. that it's an invalid yeah. design. And uh, thankfully, we haven't had something as fundamental as as that occur yet. But I welcome you know. Let's get the feedback. Let's. Yeah. It it needs yeah. to be battle tested in the real world. I mean, that's the that's the big sort of elephant in the room. It, in that, there's not actually that many people using Crux. I mean, we're starting to get people on the mailing lists. Um, mm-hmm. We haven't used it in serious anger yet um, on production systems. Um, we have used it internally, playing about with it. We stress tested it, but it's it's alpha. Um, yeah. So it's right now it is a bit of a leap of faith. It's a bit of a gamble, and uh, yeah, just look forward to the day when we can reflect and say nothing's ever truly stable. But yeah, at least it's it's got a bit of experience <laughs> under its belt. Well, there's definitely plenty of room for more databases in this space, you know. I mean, it would be crazy if there was only ever one database that the Clojureans looked for, I think, you know. Um, and I think you've taken a different tack, you know. Like you say, you've taken a much more kind of open approach, a much more um, 
modular approach in many ways or openly modular approach anyway. Um, but I think, you know, uh, everything should be possible. I don't think that uh, the people at the Atomic are saying, no one else should ever make a database. <laughs> that would be weird. I don't think they're, yeah, don't think they're allowed to do that. I think it's got to be good for enclosure that 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 people try stuff as well and um, the different ideas and yeah. we want closure, don't we? We want closure to be known as having these awesome applications, yeah. unless Jeremy and Hawkan rewrite bits of it in Rust. But that's yeah. a different conversation. <laughs> I think the other thing that's interesting, I mean, it's kind of like a weird thing, but um, I know I remember like this. I don't know if it's an absolute statistic or if it's just uh, something I've misremembered, but I think. Stu once said that there's only like one or two atoms in the whole of the atomic or something. Do, I mean, do you, did you find anything? Because as you mentioned closure, I mean, did you find anything about the closure, the designing and making it in closure that was specifically delightful or surprising? Or was it just like every, everything you knew about closure just was brought to bear on this project? I think... Closure is good for the ideas and mm. playing around and implementing the algorithms that we found in the various white papers that we consulted. Mm. Uh, so closure is seen as that. Um, let's build it in closure to start with. Mm. Uh, but then we've had to rewrite bits in Java as they ossify. Uh, and then I think ultimately, do we then take the, the sort of very core bits and may, maybe try Rust to because we. You know, it's quite good fun to see how fast we can make this as well. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so closure scene is that sort of yeah, that 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 that's a let's just let the thinking flow and uh, take it from there. And just that low friction as well. Like you could argue the schemaless, uh, you know, the dynamic nature of it, um, we sort of embraced as well. Well, I'm guessing you're getting a leveraging a lot of the performance from the infrastructure as well. Yeah. Like RocksDB and Kafka, they're they're yeah, Kafka, all they've yeah. all got awesome performance and often they have the way i find it remember there's yeah. some tight loops in your code that you could optimize but probably a lot of it is just you know fine it's quite interesting like when you dig into it and um it's it's actually quite fascinating because uh because actually seeking around on the so imagine you just have a index which is a mm. bi-temple index yeah. it's just a kv source so it's so you have a key path so you've got all mm. these different keys sort of lined up against each other and um, and what you really want to avoid is is too many seeks because mm. each time you sort of just don't do a next, you actually do a seek, a jump. Right. That's expensive. Um, and the way that it works is that we are doing a lot of seeks. Um, mm. So then, I mean, Hawkan, uh, you know, he's he's just amazing, really. You know, I've worked with him for kind of 14 years and uh, a bit of a mentor to me. Like if, if I could be as good a coder as him, mm. you know, be happy to, i mean it's not going to happen to be honest um but uh he, he's been experimenting with uh you know the rocks db um driver that came out the box uh the j and i wasn't fast enough so he tried to write his own in c mm. and just to really speed up because rocks db by default it uses um the byte arrays uses the yeah. raw byte arrays but then they're copied when it actually gets into closure land like that bridge from c to right, the jvm right, right, the byte right. arrays copy mm-hmm. so can we use like the heat byte buffers instead mm-hmm. where that underlying byte array from c is preserved yeah, yeah. Um, but then that wasn't fast enough so let's build our own sort of c variant that, mm-hmm. that does a better job and it's just trying to really maximize um the potential there rocks db uh the kafka guys the confluent guys i happen to know um 
they're occasionally looking to move away from RoxyB to LMDB. And mm. one of those reasons is that the people at Facebook have geeked out on the configuration possibilities of Rox. Mm. So, you know, if you start reading it, it's like, oh my word, how many config options and mm. column families. And we could spend months just optimizing Rox. Um, what we're actually looking to do is we're looking at different algorithms as well that, mm. that could potentially replace the one we're using or augment just to get different speed benefits in different ways. Mm. Um, but we're always conscious that we are paying a bit of a bi-temporal tax because um, mm. we have to maintain these more complex indices. So we have to be quite careful and, and think for a long time before we uh, before we want to pull a different algorithm in. Actually, did, didn't yeah. uh, Michael Drogalis go and work for the Kafka people? Yeah, yeah. now he's working with Confluent. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. they were doing no, a similar story. Number. It wasn't anything like what you're doing, but, it, but they had some kind of is, like, you know, streaming service. It is similar, right? Because, uh, well... You know, data storage. Obviously, you know everything is everything. Anything that stores data. Did, but didn't I, didn't he do something with S three and the retention? The, yeah, exactly. The sort of- so from from uh, Kafka to automatically to store S three PyroStore. Yeah. So it's like a storage mechanism. Yeah. Uh, so you don't care whether it is coming from Kafka or S three. So yeah. you can just write something as a PyroStore is like on top of that one. Yeah, that's super um, interesting for us. Definitely want to chat yeah. to him. Fa- fairly similar, but uh, I think a bit. More different, I think. <laughs> Probably same difference. So, w- what is the role of Jaxt in in in, the, in this project now? So, wh- wh- where are you? Where do you fit in into this thing? I know it's an open source project. Mm. Um, that that's amazing. You know that that lets people, you know, ex- experiment with the code, or maybe even build features and then you know take it into uh, as you said layered approach. So it makes much more sense. So, what what, what is Jaxt doing in in the project or not not doing? Fuck it. The, the direction that uh, Jux wants to take this one into. I think Jux is, I mean, it's like a department within Jux, which is the R&D department. And um, mm. you know, Jeremy sort of heads it up. And, you know, we're building out Crux. And we have a team. We have stand-ups. We have a roadmap. Mm. We have a tech lead. We have a process. Mm. Um, so from that perspective, it's just like it's just like a project that, you know, like you would have. Uh, yeah. It's like a client project in a way. Um, you know, it's kind of managed the same way and resourced the same way. Um, but I think we see we see um, Jux long term. It, it'd just be nice to to sort of diversify a bit. Uh, yeah. You know, consulting is 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 what feeds us. Like you know, we get experience from our projects and mm. real world sort of, sort of application of software. That's really what teaches us and mm. and sort of gives us insights. Um, although I was, I was thinking today, it's like. Every time I speak to a client these days, it's like I should be paying them. Like, what, what they know. <laughs> it's quite. It's like reverse consulting. Yeah. It's just amazing. I mean, that's yeah. that's potentially a danger of crux is that we attract clients who are just so far out of our league. It's like, well, you know, let's learn from you for a bit. Um, but yeah, I think Jux, we want to diversify, and uh, I think it's it's fun to have a product. Um, Consulting mm. is is difficult. Um, it can it can burn some people out because you're you're always at that early stage of the software delivery lifecycle. Mm. You know, at mm. the start yeah. where where you're the ones that are sort of hitting the ground running, putting in the energy, building stuff, and then over time you'll sort of phase yourself out. But yeah. those people that were involved driving it in the high energy, they go on to the next projects, and it's expected for them to go again to mm. drive the high energy. So I think having a, a product and um, something just different, I think. It just really helped people to rotate around and, mm. and just get a different yeah. perspective, a different pace, and 
it kind of keeps it all a bit fresh and and they also feed in like crooks will um help us uh with to attract clients with different problems and mm-hmm. uh, and then when we get those clients because we're learning about crooks we're having these conversations like we've talked about lots of different technologies and products tonight mm-hmm. that's good for us because then we can mm-hmm. talk to our clients about those so it's it's kind of like a symbiotic relationship yeah and it's just it's just fun as well it's you know it's different as well. and, and and how how do you see the community participation in the project how do we see it uh, yeah well we can hope uh we we hope that um people give it a go uh you, you know a little bit sort of it's 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 completely early so as i mentioned there's a bit of a fear that people come on and say god what what have you built this is ridiculous but um <laughs> that that hasn't happened thankfully yet um although we welcome that of course but uh no we just want people to to play with it that open extensible nature of crux mm. we'd be really mm. pleased to see a kind of repo spring up on github where someone's like rewrote the, the sort of data log or extended it and and then we that could be really cool and it might be that we have conversations and we find ways to learn from each other we take some of that into crux or or we respectfully just say no use this if you want this particular feature this person's library and uh and you know that be really nice to think um who knows where crux could go like if it it, it could hopefully grow beyond jux like like you know beyond our design like let's get it out there. The community will adopt it. It, it will sort of morph into something more exciting. As Jeremy mentioned, the sort of data flow, um, what's it called? The 3DF uh, guys. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's different futures, there's different possibilities and uh, it's more exciting mm. just to launch something out there not necessarily know where it will go, but just know that you're at least going on an interesting journey. Yeah. So in theory, I mean, it could be, like you say, people could pick it up and embed it in their ideas and um, take it forward that way, as well as being a product that someone can use like on its own. Yeah, it's like you could wrap it, you can extend it. There's different possibilities. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, it, 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 it is also a, um, a product in the sense that we're, we're going to offer support for it. Um, right, right. And... Uh, and uh you know that that should give people a bit of confidence that um it's a bit of a safe bet because well hopefully you know if it stands up to the test of time but it should give people some confidence that we're going to invest in it and um i love to get to a point where it's sustainable and there's like mm. five or six people on it and just having a wonderful time and taking ideas and mm. just extending mm. it and, yeah uh, yeah that, that'd be lovely that's amazing so, Ed, uh, did we miss anything in our questions? <laughs> we probably or, missed uh, loads of stuff. But yeah, probably. We've just but been going. For, I just noticed that we've been going for an hour and a half. So it's so easy to talk to you guys about this tech. Really, is yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I'd say that the only anything that maybe we haven't touched on too much is like all the different things you can do with bi-temporality. Like, what yeah. are the actual applied use cases? And um, I, I've tried to document as many as I can think of and, and find out, out in the wild uh, in the docs. So, you know, there's there's use cases across loads of different industries, whether it's, yeah, financial services, healthcare, law. Um, but but arguably, those are those are places where you need by temporality, like where, you know, you'd be sort of foolish uh, uh, to, to not use it. Um, but, but arguably, it'll just make development simpler, um, mm. prototyping easier. Uh, and, and I... Um, I know there's active research really going on with like bitemporal event sourcing and these kinds of things. And, and I think there's a whole world of possibilities uh, yet to be uncovered. Awesome. I 
think uh, we are I'm just checking the time. Oh, one and a half hour. Okay, that's a that's a significant amount of time. Obviously, my brain can't focus more than uh, I don't know thirty minutes or something. <laughs> so probably after after thirty minutes, whatever I said is is probably bullshit. So that's fine. Um, so uh, th thanks a lot for open sourcing this one. You know, that's that's like a, a pretty good thing. You know, uh, as you said, uh, John. You know, um, must be amazing code. So you know, there is a lot to learn from. I think probably from the community and also from. Uh, as you said, you know, reverse consulting from the community as well. <laughs> um, that that would be amazing, and I'm I'm really curious to try it out because I'm uh, I I looked into the documentation a bit uh, the last couple of days, and um, I'm really at least I, I I would be at least trying it out because this is one of the problems that that uh, I've been following for long, and and I know that Mozilla has something at some point like a uh, datomic. Uh, implementation in in Rust or something, and then that was an abandoned project again. Uh, was, I forgot was the name. Mentat or uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah Mentat. Yeah, yeah. Cool. and and DataScript obviously, you know, still flourishing. It's it's going on, and uh, yeah. Nikita is doing great job in in that one. But still, DataScript, you know, sounds like it's on a browser sort of thing, and it's not really like scalable yeah. backend thing. I think with DataFlow and Mentat. And uh, data scripts. I mean, there's a lot of work going into data scripts. It's now funded by Closure is Together. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. I think you could arguably say it's a, it's a mini wave of things happening in this space. Yeah, and maybe. But, but you're 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 it. filling the very very specific area that we don't have a tool for, you know, then, or at least not enough choice available. So th this is this this fits right in, you know, especially with the with the things that you explained with uh, you, you both explained with the. The, the bitemporality thing that I, I think I finally understood a bit. Um, uh, I think I, I'd love to see this project grow and then, you know, get get more users and more use cases and all that stuff and more uh, um, community participation. That would be amazing. And uh, hopefully, you know, you, you'll be offering it as a uh, that's what Jeremy said, like an offering manager. <laughs> yeah. yeah, offering it as a uh, as a service or as a exactly. product. Yeah, that would be amazing. You know, having a, having a uh, smart guys like you having providing the support for that 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 makes it much more lucrative. So I think that's uh, that's pretty much what uh, I have in my list to ask. Uh, Ray, do you have any any other comments or questions? Um, well, there's lots to talk about. Like like we said, I mean, it's so easy to talk. We could probably go on for a few hours. I mean, I think for yeah. you, what we, my my thinking is, you know, we should have a, uh, these guys back on in let's say a year's time to to review yeah. what's happened. See, you know, it, it's going to be like a great wave at the beginning and a lot of enthusiasm. And you know, I'm definitely very keen to use it for sure. Um, Let's see. Let's see what happens in a year. Where 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 the design is taken, you guys. You know, I'm really excited for you. Um, I, you know, I think it's great. You know, I love you guys. So you know, I think you're doing great stuff. I'm I'm very excited about this product. Uh, I know you've been cooking it for a while, so I'm really excited for you guys as well. I mean, I think it's just a it's a great innovation, and uh, I think you're doing great work for the community. So thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks, Ray. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks, BJ. Um, yeah, keep up the good work with your 49th podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the good work. <laughs> oh, it was an absolute Great. pleasure so, um, always, yeah. Just a couple of uh, um, announcements before we say goodbye. Um, so, so uh, John, do you know when your talk will be online from Closure North? Uh, no, uh, they said a month, uh, okay. which was a okay. week ago, so, you know. 
So in, in, in two, three weeks, uh, the talk should be out. Yep. So uh, look for that one, people who are listening. And um, Dutch Closure Days was... Uh, uh, it was good, and other people said it was good as well. So I'm just uh, <laughs> trying to say that it was good. Um, yes. And uh, we had uh, we have all the videos up uh, and running um, on on YouTube. Uh, and uh, Heart of Closure tickets are open right now. Uh, so book your spot uh, to go to Heart of Closure. I know Jext is sponsoring Heart of Closure, so probably John, you'll be there. Yeah. Uh, or somebody from uh, maybe Jeremy, both of you, or Malcolm, yeah. or yeah. the whole Jext gang. Yeah, that'll be it. Uh, that'll be it. Hotel, <laughs> <laughs> that'll be amazing so I, I think i'll show up there as well so i'll, I'll um, so if you uh, the people who are listening you know uh, go and check out heartofclosure.eu i think uh, get your tickets it's in august um so that's it from us um thanks again jeremy and uh, john taking your time to explain uh, the the meaning of crux and <laughs> From from thinking that it's a point of pain to actually it's a, you know the crux of something you know that's the the main idea. <laughs> yeah. cool. So, thank you. Very much. Thank you. Nice. Goodbye. Goodbye. Cheers.